This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So, faced with the question, where did they go next with this podcast? The guys were recently joined by legendary musical genius Bruce Dickerson who's agreed to be the new producer of the Stack and Benjamins show. They were all excited to meet him. Hey, fellas. I'm Bruce Dickerson. Yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound. Fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. More cowbell. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and buckle up because today you're going to take control of your money. Let's talk tackling your debt, controlling your finances, and kickstarting your savings with personal finance and business coach Dorothea Kelly. In our headlines, did you lock in your best mortgage rate? If you did, welcome to Landlordville. What if you took the landlord test and the stick came out pink? Oh boy, we'll bring tips. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky stacking Benjamins listener, and I'll share my jet-propelled trivia that's out of this world. And now, two guys who are the world's foremost expert space cadets, Joe. Oh, and oh, J-J-J-J-G. And like a rocket ship for your money, we're back. Happy Wednesday, everyone. We are so happy you're here. Kick back. Hope you have your favorite beverage. I've got a coffee with me right now. I don't know what this guy across the card table has. OG, what are you drinking? Rocket man. Rocket fuel, dude. Rocket man. Freaking just pure, pure gasoline. I was going to ask if that's gin juice. Like, what is what is that? What's pure rocket fuel? Space rockets, hydrogen. I don't know. Like how do you, how do rockets get into space? I don't know. I'm just trying to. You're really swinging a miss. Nice try though. That's good. Just and just coffee basically. <laughs> and on a Wednesday, man, you don't need coffee today because the woman who's going to inject some life. Well, she injects life wherever she goes. Dorothea Kelly's here. OG, and as you know, Dorothea, such a badass. And she's going to help you get out of debt. She's going to help you get right with your money. Can't wait to talk to Dorothea again. Dorothea is that person that we just don't get to talk to enough. But before that, we got a fantastic headline, as Doug said. And I think, though, even before that, OG, let's get real. What we really need to talk about before anything is probably, well, this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. 
You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. Of course, the only reason we had to talk about that is because that's how we keep podcasting. If we didn't talk about that, there would be no podcast. All right. OG's here. I'm here. Doug's here. Dorothea Kelly's upstairs talking to mom. So let's go. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. In our headline today, this comes to us from Fortune. This is written by Elena Botros. Homeowners who held on to a 3% mortgage rate, OG, Becoming accidental landlords. Did you send this to me or did I find this? Uh, I saw it. It uh, was in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, this is you Fortune Magazine. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, yeah, Fortune, yes. Fortune Magazine. I saw that on Flipboard or I sent it to you or something like that. Yeah, the era of lower than ever mortgage rates is long gone and it's been replaced, this piece says, with rates hovering around 7%. But homeowners who locked in lower rates before during the pandemic housing boom aren't selling. In fact, some of them are becoming accidental landlords simply because they don't want to lose their low rates of the past. Makes sense to me. If your job takes you to a different city, you got this home that it's a very low interest rate. The cost, the carrying cost on that house is not high. OG, you put a, a tenant in there and bam, you might be rolling in some money. All of a sudden you're the landlord. It's it's kind of an interesting conundrum if you have to move and you've got this low rate. I, I didn't read the article, but I was thinking that maybe this was like land contract type stuff because interest rates on 30-year mortgages are so high, what, maybe 7% now, give or take? And yeah. I've got mine in my house at two and a half. You want to buy my house, I want to move. Let's work out a deal whereby you pay me five and three quarters instead of the taking the bank seven. You know, like I'm the banker now. That's what I kind of thought that they were going after here when I saw the headline. But maybe they're not talking about, you know, being a landlord in the sense of owning the house and land contracting it. 
but rather being forced to be owning the house because you can't leave because you can't afford the move. And you know what? You're exactly right. It says that being said, the so-called locked-in effect is putting pressure on both sides of the market. Aren't as many buyers looking for new digs and not as many sellers looking to move up or downsize if they'll get stuck with a mortgage rate more than twice as high as their old one. Redfin's chief economist, Daryl Fairweather, told Fortune that high rates are constricting activity. They're looking at their monthly payment, which is quite low if they locked in a 3% mortgage rate compared to what their mortgage payment would be if they sold and bought again. should be quite high given how high mortgage rates are. And it just makes a lot of sense for them to hold on to that low interest rate. It's people not moving. I mean, honestly, we looked um, a couple of months ago, I guess, we thought, I thought about it. Mrs. OG didn't think about it. <laughs> I, was, I was told no. But just looking at the math of what that is to get another mortgage, another 30-year mortgage at 7% instead of the 15-year term we have at 2.5, it just, it just does not make a lot of sense right now to move. Now, if you're coming from an apartment or you don't have the quote-unquote baggage of already owning a house or that anchor, I guess. And I don't mean anchor in the bad sense. I mean, the anchor of like mentally, the mental anchor, sure. like on Fridays yeah. when we have the guessing contest, it's like the first person who says whatever, 1872, it's like, everybody's like, ah, oh, maybe 1874. And it's like 1319, you know, it's like right. we're all way off, you know, it's that kind of anchor. And so you've got this perception of, you know, my mortgage rate should be 3% and here it's seven. I just can't, I can't swallow that pill of, of seven. So it does dive into in this piece if people are forced to move, like keeping mm-hmm. it because your cost of money is so low. Why why sell it to somebody else when you got this cheap cost of money if you're at all looking to be to be a landlord? And that's what the bank wants you to do. They want you to pay it off. It's at, to sell it. Yeah, they want you to pay it off at two and a half. Oh, they want this off the books. Oh, Please get this off the books. They want it off the books. Yeah. Yeah. The quicker they get off the books, the better. I mean, this was this same mechanic is really what was a part of the downfall of Silicon Valley Bank, right? They got this money tied up at low interest rates and not bringing in a lot of new money. Well, yeah. If you assume that the banks are holding these notes, which which most of them are packaged up and sold as CDOs or whatever. But yeah, some banks, I mean, the credit union we dealt with when we first bought our house, kept the mortgage on their books. I remember thinking when we got that loan at 4%, we would never do better than 4 Four was the number. We were never going to get better than four. And, uh, and, now, I'm, and now I'm sticking it to Chase at 2.5. So, <laughs> Michael Zuber, author of One Rental at a Time, he's a former tech worker turned real estate investor, says that a rate of 3% is without question one of the best assets most homeowners will ever have. He said they shouldn't sell, they should rent it out. He says a lot of people told them they're making around $1,000 a month after expenses by doing that. Makes people have no interest in being a landlord. Frankly, if my interest rate on that house where I was a landlord, was it 3% and the cash flow was even better? I probably, I, I would be one of those people probably. I'd be like, yeah. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to suck it up even though I'm not in love with being a landlord and just, just do it. Yeah. We sold our rentals last year. And part of the determining factor was the fact that it was a higher interest rate. It was a commercial rate. It was a commercial building. And I couldn't justify the fact that I was paying six and a half percent interest on a commercial loan despite the fact that that's, you know, was still kind of in the ballpark of what it should have been, where I was holding on to my personal loan at two and a half. Like that, again, back to that anchoring and kind of what's in your mind at the time. It just didn't, didn't make sense. 
Well, what's funny too, you had the first indications that the real estate market might be right sizing again, right? Really? I mean, people are still buying real estate. People are getting good prices for their home, but definitely a cooler market today than it was a year ago. So yeah, what a good certain time, areas, what a good, for sure. Yeah. What a good time to cash in, I think. Oh, I, I couldn't have timed it any better. I don't know. This is, <laughs> you know, I got, I got lucky a hundred percent. There was no skill in that. I was uh, an accidental real estate entrepreneur who, who slayed it in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we will a happy accident, right? Like mm-hmm. me selling my financial planning business in, in 2007, like what could have gone better. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Better. From a timing standpoint. Sure. Just so. within six months of the collapse. Hey, if you want to dive deeper into this, we got two ways for you to do that. First of all, we have a great newsletter called the 201, where tomorrow, always the day after the Monday and Wednesday shows, we dive deeper into all the topics we talk about, not just this, but coming up with Dorothea Kelly, what we're going to talk about with her about getting your financial house in order. And to get the 201 newsletter, head to stackybenjamins.com slash 201, just put it in the numbers, 201 slash 201. And... We now have a sister show called Stacking Deeds. Alan Corey and Crystal Hammond are our host of that show. You'll find that wherever you're listening to us now. And if you're somebody who finds yourself in the spot that you're a landlord, not sure what to do, it's a great way to keep up weekly every Tuesday with what's new, what's happening, how do you get financing, what are the best ways to own real estate, uh, how do you make the house look better, where's your money best positioned, everything under the sun on the Stacking Deeds show. Coming up next, Dorothea Kelly is a force of nature. You'll see her often collaborating with the local TV stations in Detroit, where she is based. Dorothea, for a lot of our events, OG, when I was in Detroit, she would help us sponsor them, and she would also be our MC for uh, lots of our events. She's been featured all over the place, CNBC, Black Enterprise, U.S. News, uh, USA Today Experian. She's been, I believe, on the Stacking Benjamin show maybe four times. She's got, though, a new book out, which is all about getting your financial house in order. How do you get out of the debt basement and get rolling? Well, Dorothea's got all that. But first, Doug, I think you've got some trivia for us to get us there, right? Stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today in history was the start of the U.S. space shuttle program. Talk about a trip. Wonder how much that set Uncle Sam back in gas money. Hey, which one do you think gets better gas mileage, the average shuttle or my El Camino? Well, I'm very proud of the money I spend on my El Camino. According to Space.com, since its inception, the space shuttle program has cost more than $192 billion. That means for each flight, they needed about $1.5 billion for gas money. So much for the pitch that this was going to be a cheap and convenient way to space. Jeez, maybe you needed a better budget program, huh? Anyone talk to NASA about YNAB? So for today's trivia question, how about I ask you about the first of these expensive space outings? Way back in 1981, how many astronauts were on the first U.S. shuttle mission? I'll be back right after I research age and weight waivers for astronauts. Maybe I still got the right stuff. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to 
what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. stackers i'm tang lover and ready rocketeer joe's mom's neighbor doug reporting for duty to serve protect and always bring joe back down to earth you're welcome turns out space travel is a budget buster the lifetime cost of each flight to space is almost as much as the u.s annual defense budget or about half of joe's mom's budget for romance novels and floating bathtub candles yeah good luck getting that visual out of your head During the first shuttle mission, how many astronauts did the U.S. squeeze into the first ship? The answer is two. And no, they weren't Joe and OG, although I have wanted to launch them into space once or twice. And now, it's time to talk about getting grounded, conquering your debt, and grabbing control of your money with Dorothea Kelly. Super happy she's back with us. Dorothea Kelly's here. How are you? Hey, I am good. How are you? So good to see you. <laughs> good, good to see. It's been too long, Dorothea. It's been way too it long. Yes. I was so happy that you had a book out. I'm like, I have an excuse to talk to Dorothea now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, l- 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 I want to start off with some gratitude somebody gave you. And this is from the early pages of your work. This is from S. Johnson. They said, although I earned a great income, I was never really able to save money. And this, as you know, from being a coach for a long time, Dorothea, you and I see this all over the place. Why do people make so much money and yet none of us can save any money? Because 
it's easier when you have it coming in to know, okay, I'll be able to cover that next time. To feel like you can spend a little more. A lot of times when people are really struggling and really living paycheck to paycheck, they're a little more careful. They're, they're watching every dollar. When you finally get some relief and you know you have money coming in and maybe this has been going on for a couple of years, you become a little too comfortable. And then you slack off of your discipline of how you were managing your money in the first place. You just get addicted to the paycheck is what you're saying. Yeah, essentially, because you know it's coming. And this happens across all income levels. Yeah, it's funny, you know, working with people who made $300,000, they couldn't save. People making $25,000 couldn't save. Like, you're right. It doesn't matter how much you make. Exactly. I had a client that was a physician. She made about $400,000 a year. Of course, she had a lot of expenses because she wasn't home a lot, right? But she said she just really, her friends were inviting her on these expensive vacations because that's what they were used to. And she said, she got so tired of it one time. She said, you know what? Listen, I'm broke. And then you look and you're like, somebody making $400,000, how on earth could they be broke? But no matter what you have, if you spend more, you're going to be broke. Because somebody, I'm telling this is another thing too. I had somebody who was making $30,000. They came to me, $30,000 a year. And the first thing in my mind, I was like, I'm going to have to tell him he's got to increase his income. He had more money in the bank than some of my six-figure earners. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, there is a lie that I kept telling myself, Dorothea, when I was broke, which is that, I, to your point, I just need to make more money, right? If I just make more money, it'll solve my problem. And that is a lie. You cannot out-earn your bad habits. You were the same, I feel like, reading your book. When did you have the aha? Tell me about Dorothea and the money aha that you had in your 20s. Yeah, so for me, it was... I remember I was a single mother, so I didn't get a chance to play around in my mind. You like I I knew I had kids, I knew I had responsibilities. I didn't have guidance. I didn't know how to manage money. I was just trying to do the best that I could, but I was always broke and also I didn't make a lot of money. So you've got two kids working full time, going to school full time and not making a lot of money. And I was like, "You know what? This is not the life." This is not what I want. How do I learn how to manage money, learn how to get more money in? I wanted to prepare myself for success so that I wasn't always, because that is, uh, you know, being broke, like creditors calling, not having a way to pay your bills, that pressure just weighs on you. So I was like, this is not the life. So I just started doing exactly what I tell people to do in this book. I started reading, researching all the things. Everything won't be for you, right? Everything wasn't for me. I didn't find too many things that spoke to me in my situation. You can always, listen, I hated hearing live beneath your means, spend less than you earn. I was like, the rubber had met the road and I was in the middle. Right. There was no, what means? There is no means. <laughs> so I was like, tell me how, teach me how, what do I do? And then I saw a lot of people in my circle, same situation. And we're just trying to figure it out. So that's my story. I said, this is not the life. And once I figured it out, I said, other people need to know. I needed to affect my circle. You also talk about something that was very prevalent for me. And as you're even talking about this, you know, with creditors calling, 
with all of this pressure that you have, we also bring a lot of shame to this, Dorothea. Like we have shame, we have guilt. We're like, oh, if I had done that earlier, if I'd learned earlier, if I hadn't been so stupid, like how do we get around that shame? I still get this, get caught. I just got a call like this a couple of weeks ago. They almost didn't want to call me. You know, people feel like they're going to get judgment. You're operating in your own little silo. But but I just want to tell everybody this. Number one, there is nothing new under the sun. The players of the game just change. Your situation, somebody else has been through it, succeeded, and you can too. So we have to get out of our own heads and say, you know what? Forget pride. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to talk to somebody. Now, you know, I don't believe in telling everybody your business, but you need to find someone you can trust that can help you. It's some self-talk we have to do. That's why I said, listen, we have to talk to ourselves. It's okay. You have to tell yourself that you can be successful with your money. We're not looking back. You look back to get the lesson, but you look forward to see the success. So we are not going back and talking about, oh man, I wish I would have done this. I should have did that. Okay. Now that put that over here. You said it, it's done. Don't say it anymore. Let's move forward. Talk about what you're going to do. Talk about the success that you desire. Speak those things that you want to come to pass. It was a day and I just got sick of my own voice telling people <laughs> I'm so broke. Oh no, I can't do that. I'm broke. Girl, I'm broke. I'm this. I got sick of my own voice. I got sick of saying, oh, we can't afford that. So I stopped doing that. And I either didn't say nothing or I rephrased it. Maybe next time we'll look into that in the future. And it's okay to tell people that you are on a money journey. Like, don't be ashamed of that. Because even if people might scoff a little bit, because people did scoff. You know, I had people say, Dorothea, oh, everybody has debt. We're going to, you know, people may scoff, but then they'll circle back and say, "How, you know, Dorothea, how's that going? Seem to be doing really well. Right. So do you, do you, this is for you, your family, your future. That's so empowering. And you know, what's funny when I was a financial planner, I had some clients that during the holidays, they were on their money journey and they'd have to go to their family and they'd have to say, Hey, we're not doing presents this year because we're on this. But you know what, Dorothea, in every single case, their holiday season, they reported back to me was better than they'd ever had before because they felt like they were in a position of power. Finally, they were building yes. the emergency fund and they focused on the important part of the season, which was each other instead each other. of, yeah, instead of on, you know, the crappy gifts and spending all the time being all, you know, pulling their hair out at the mall. Exactly. You know what broke me? I tell the story about how I talked to a girlfriend and she's the one who helped me through this because you want to just give your kids all this stuff and then you got to buy for the family. And I'm like, I think I bought an expensive toy from my, my youngest daughter once. It was broke on Christmas Day. Oh, no. I was like, no more. No <laughs> more of this. And then think about it. How many $20 gifts that you're giving all the kids in the family or everybody else? Who needs that? Nobody needs that stuff. So I did the same thing that, that um, your friend did. And I was scared to do it because in the family, they all bought for my kids too. Sure. And I was like, I said, please tell them not to buy for my kids. Yeah. Cause, because cause then you're thinking more guilt, right? You're thinking more guilt then. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it was freedom. Oh my God. Not to have to worry about it. Not to have to worry about it. So you begin then with, okay, let's forget the guilt, but let's get organized. Tell me the steps. What do I do first when I'm trying to get organized? Number one, you want to get in that junk drawer, pull all that stuff out of the junk drawer, get those old letters and things out. You want to get organized by just 
facing the music. It's okay. You might shed a little tear, but when you're done crying, you'll feel empowered because you have everything in front of you and you know what's what. From there, then you have to say, okay, what do I tackle first? What am I going to do first? This is maybe the situation. I've got some past due bills. Now you're not going to call everybody, but write down what they are so that you can then know how to handle them. And then you need a system for keeping up with everything. So whether that's a file cabinet, whether you're scanning that stuff into the computer, I have a friend who does that. She's like, paper, oh no. Whatever it is that works for you, I don't care if you just have a manila folder and when the stuff comes in, bills and, and responsibilities, you stick those in there and you sit that in the kitchen on top of the microwave. You know where it is. That's the key. It doesn't have to be fancy. Don't make it a big deal. That's how you get organized. And then from there, you can make a plan. The uh, uh, You talk about creditors. I had creditors calling me in the mid-90s when I was going through this, Dorothea. How do you work with creditors? Number one, don't ever give them access. I don't know if you did this, but I did this. Oh, and it was horrible. Oh, you Don't told- ever give them access to your bank account. I know what story you're about to tell. I had a pit in my <sighs> stomach reading this. I'd never heard you tell this story before. No, listen, and let me tell you, still broke, single mother. I was trying to, this is me getting on the journey to paying people off and paying people down. They agreed to a certain amount. They took the entire balance and then that sent me in another spiral because now you've taken all my money yeah. for, for current bills. And when I was trying to do the right thing, but they know I can't sue them. And I literally, I promise you, the man said, my cousin, what did you do? I got to pay bills. He said, well, sue me. He knows I can't sue him. So when the creditors are calling, do not give them access to direct pull money out. You handle that. Get everything in writing. And nowadays it's more email than than letters. But if they say, yes, we agree to this amount payoff, get that in an email or they might send a letter before you pay them. Because after you pay them, they could come back and say, well, I don't know. We don't have recollection of that conversation. They are trained. They go to trainings on how to get money from creditors. My niece is a credit collection agency agent. They go to training. They know how to do it. So when you're on the phone with them and you're arguing back and forth, that's what they want because that gets you flustered and that gets you to say, I'm sick of them. I'm just going to pay them. And then you'll go do all kind of crazy things, get a payday loan, do things you should not do. That's going to make your long term worse because they've pressured you. Make an arrangement. Tell them what you can do. And when they get to, I had somebody tell me, can you borrow some money from your mother? I was like, you don't know my mama. <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> well, that's what it, I, I one creditor, t- one credit agency guy, tell me that he said, "Well, just take out a loan." I'm like, the reason I'm here talking to you is because I borrowed money from everybody. I, exactly. Like I am completely tapped out. He's like, exactly. He's like, well, can't you? You must have some family member that will still give you more money. I'm like, no. Oh, I got. Yeah. I got so tired. And by the way, another thing for our stackers. Dorothea, what you said about getting that in writing. So I did that. I got it in writing and they still came back for the money. And I had to continue. I had on three separate, not one, not two, but three separate occasions. I had to fax because it was back, you know, mostly pre-internet. I had to fax that letter back to different people three different times Mm -hmm. to prove to them that I didn't owe it anymore. What happened was I paid this credit agency 
they still said that I owed it and they sold it to another credit agency for, you know, cause they, uh, cause they sell these loans back and forth. Yes. So they sold my loan to somebody else. And so I get this call from this other jerk. The person was a complete yep. jerk. And this guy's like, well, I don't have any records that you paid. I'm like, I totally paid it off. And by the way, at first I didn't know where I put the letter. So I had to go search for the letter forever. Find the letter. Cause I didn't realize how important <laughs> it was. So when you say, get it in writing, Put it someplace where you're never going to forget it because, oh, they are wicked. They are, they are That's horrible. right. That's right. Absolutely. You like the debt snowball method above all methods yes. to pay off debt. Tell people that are new here, our, our brand new stacker family, Dorothea, tell them what the debt snowball method is. Essentially, with the debt snowball, you take your debts and you list them smallest to largest. And you pay them off in that order. So let's say you have a dentist bill that's $100. You have another bill that's $250 and another one that's $500. You're going to pay your regular payments on the $100, $250, $500. But when you get extra money, you're going to try to double up as much as you can on the $100 until you pay that off. And even if you don't get extra money, you just make the minimum payments on everything. Once the $100 is paid off, let's say you're paying $20 a month on that. Once the $100 is paid off, you take that 20 and you add it to the $250 bill so that now that you don't have that $100 debt anymore, the money doesn't go into the black hole. You use what you were paying to pay off everything else and you just do it in that order. I do like it. I still use it because it does give you a sense of relief. I know what it's like trying to tackle a ten dollars or $20,000 debt and, and feeling defeated. Whereas when I started doing my smaller debts and getting up, I felt like I was accomplishing something. I could get those letters that said, this is paid off. And I felt relief. It does give you that momentum. I, I know there are 20 million ways to do debt payoff. This one is the one that I found that works and the one that I work with my clients on. Get those small wins right away. Does consolidation give you the same feeling? I want to say consolidation does give you a sense of relief because you feel... Anything where you feel like now some of it can be detrimental, but anything where you feel like you have made a stride in your financial freedom. So if, if you have a high interest rate and all these single debts all over the place and you consolidate them into one, you have one payment that does tend to give people a sense of, OK, I'm on the right track. This is one bill instead of 20. And now I can work with this one company and pay that off. Just be careful with who you work with. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Who do we watch out for? <laughs> um, debt consolidation, just like um, the debt agencies that help you pay off your debt. You just have to be careful. Read the terms. Everyone isn't legit. So I'm not opposed to it. This is my thing. I can do this in my sleep. I know somebody else can't. So it's okay to get help. Don't feel bad about getting help and not doing it yourself, but get a company that is reputable. Look at the reviews online. You want some, well, you want companies that have been around for 10 or 20 years. You don't want someone who just started three years ago because you don't know which way the wind is going yeah. to blow. And you don't know there's, there's not enough reviews for you. Find companies that have been around for 10 or 20 years, have really good reviews and have a track record. I know some people, Dorothea, that uh, thought they were getting uh, consolidation. They were getting debt counseling. What they didn't realize was that it was really they were getting uh, bankruptcy. And bankruptcy could <sighs> bankruptcy could be an option. However, you really needed it because because that's horrible. Yeah, that's horrible. Isn't that rotten. It just that's horrible. You gotta you gotta you gotta tell me 
Don't trick me. Tell me what the cards are and let me determine if I want to play. Now, I'm going to give you one better. You ready for this? I know someone who spent a couple of years paying into a debt counseling agency and they took over their bills and was supposed to be paying their bills. They thought they were about to be paid off with everything. Got a letter to come to court because the agency wasn't paying anything. Oh, no. Nothing. So they paid twice. Paid twice. Isn't that horrible? Well, it, it, yeah, and it's a double whammy. I mean, it's the money, but you also, that time, you can't get the, you know, yeah. the older I get, the more time is my enemy. Yeah. 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 And those are the kind of things, you know, I talk about mental health with financial literacy, financial health, how it affects you. Th- those are the kind of things that could really send somebody in a spiral. Like that's like devastating. It's, there's a lot of scammers out here. So just just do your research. People are wondering, uh, I'm sure about okay, how do I cut? What do I sacrifice? You have a story. You got you have stories throughout the book about people of which is by the way, this is great because it's proof that you can do this, right? These are regular yes. people who have yes. done it before you have, so you can do it. But you've got a story here about Robin. I want to talk about Robin's oh. sacrifices. <laughs> she met with you. She set up a budget. She cut her cable. That was $125 a month. Yes. She changed the number of times she got her hair done. You told her she needed to cut that completely. She's like, eh, nope, not going to do that. But she did. She did cut it in half. So instead of $75 every week, it was $75 twice a month. That's another 150 bucks. Exactly. But what's cool, and I want to pause there for a second, Dorothea, because some of this you can see is compromise. Yes, I want to get out of debt, but I don't want to stop living today. And for her getting her hair done, I think was probably part of living today. Yes. Yes, it was. And it's a woman thing, the hair, the nails. We need to be able to take care of ourselves. Well, so me too. That's, me too. That's a- <laughs> That's right, Joe. Get it together. So I want to talk about this. Like for me, I was always very practical. And I learned that some things you do because you need it, not because it's the most practical when you can afford it. Robin was an absolute joy. Oh, my God. I've got to have her back on. But she she just looked at me. She said, Dorothea, I don't know about any of this that you're talking about here. My hair, my clothes, my this. And we just had to talk through what do you want? And her sessions were always so fun. And then she said, okay, I'm going to do it. And she stuck to it. She was able to pay down her debt, buy a house, do all any number of things. And then once, remember that it's just a season too. Once you get to where you're on a good foot and you've learned the lessons, she can go back to getting her hair done every week. Yeah, right, right, right. So, you know, I always ask people what is non-negotiable, what is like, nope, I'm not doing, and what is on the table. So if you're honest with yourself about that, You'll be okay. Now, I will say, though, I mean, I got to be honest about this. There are some people who need to cut everything like you need to stop and pause because it's just a spiral. But remember that it's only for a season. Just remember that it's only for a season. Robin alone, just with those two moves, cut two hundred and seventy five dollars a month. She used that to build an emergency fund. Yes. That emergency fund, by the way, more than anything I felt, Dorothea, gave her confidence. Like when you were talking about the debt snowball method, that builds confidence. Mm -hmm. Robin, with $275 a month extra going to debt, that builds confidence. A lot of this game, I feel like, especially in the early days, is about just building your confidence and your muscle. Absolutely. And and she did. And she she still tells me to this day. Because she didn't know, one, how to do it, she didn't know, two, that she could do it. Once she had the strategy and she started implementing it, she's like, oh, this is possible. 
I'm not surprised, but a lot of people will be, we're not surprised because we're in this world, but a lot of people will be surprised that many people don't know any, they're winging it like I was. So once you learn and you build that muscle, that financial muscle, now Robin has used the same things that she learned in the book and we're working with me to do a number of things in her finances because it's a formula. You just rinse and repeat. And that's where that confidence comes into play because you know you can do it. Well, and that was what was interesting too, because she trusted you. I felt like she started walking down the path and you wrote that once she got so far down that path and she got some confidence, that's when she started then reading other financial books and started listening to shows and getting like all of a sudden she becomes a money geek, Dorothea, because it feels like she can do it. That was, that was pretty cool. I got to ask you about something else too. There's a number of times throughout the book too where you tell people to stop leasing a car like that one, that one seems to come up over and over and over. I felt like the power of just a used car versus a car lease can be huge. Yes. That came from my own personal experience with the car leases. Now that was 10, 15 years ago that I leased a car. When it comes to leasing now, like depending on how the economy is going, there were great deals at certain times, right? Yeah. The reason that I say don't lease your main car because you do want to pay off stuff. You don't want to always have a car note. So for somebody who needs a main car, listen, I know sometimes times get tight. And if they say you need a car to get back and forth and all they'll do is give you a lease. Okay. But get the lease, make a plan to get out of it and then end up owing, owning at least one car. When you're leasing, you don't own it. And if you lease it to buy, this is what I did. You end up paying more than you would if you just bought it. But I do realize it is easier to get a lease when it comes to credit. So sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. It's all about the planning. Now, you may be in a situation where you've got a car in the garage and you like, you know, I just want a BMW or something. I want something nice. I want to have fun. You've got the money. You can do it. And when you turn that lease in, you still have a car in the garage. I just tell people, I warn people against leasing their main car if they just don't have to. But at that point, it's much more like Robin and her hair. You know, you're doing it because this is what you like. You want the new car. You always want the nice sporty thing. So if you know you're going to have it forever, that's not bad. But for me, I was doing the same thing, Dorothea. I was leasing a car. I've got this huge money trouble. I went to a paid off beater, just a beater. In fact, Today, I don't lease cars now, but we have one car that we buy new for Cheryl. And then we have a car that that uh, I own this car that is so paid off and it's worth absolutely nothing because I rarely drive. Good point. I'm going to tell you something. I agree with you 100% on there. And my car has paid off, been paid off. My husband bought a new car, but that's his thing. He keeps asking me, when are you going to get a new car? I said, number one, my car is garage decoration. I, why would I buy a new car and pay a car note when my car sits in the garage? Yeah, I'm good. So you really just have to think about those things. The reason I like not having a car note is because there is freedom. That's three, four, five, whatever, $100 that you can put towards something else. Not just savings and debt payoff, but living, travel, vacation, whatever your fun is, whatever. I I talked to somebody the other day and I said, what's your thing? And she says, art supplies, go do your thing. You do not want all of your money just going out the door your entire life. So that's why I like paid off cars. That's why I'm like, don't lease, buy a car, pay it. Even if you buy a brand new car, 
Ugh, at least get one that's a couple years old, right? And pay that off and then hold on to that thing till the wheels fall off. Yeah. There is so much here, by the way, everybody. We, we just dove into just getting your act together, really, not even setting up your system, which you go into then and starting to take control. But just the basic stuff did we go into today. I want to ask you about something that's coming up. As you know better than most, uh, student loan repayment, debt repayments coming back. We're going to start paying those loans again. You've got a whole chapter on this. But for people that now are faced with student loans again, Dorothea, what's the big thing we got to remember? Number one, keep watching the legislation for forgiveness. I know some folks have gotten their forgiveness already. I know there's a constant battle, but just a lot of times we don't know what's going on. And so we don't know what we might have access to. So please keep watching that, first of all. Secondly, there's been a lot going on with student loans and and, and they keep deferring them for you and all that. But now it's time to pay. If you're looking at it and it's probably gotten good to us, we haven't had to pay, but now it's time. So get back on a schedule that works for you. If the old payment schedule that you were on does not work, call your lender and try to negotiate something else. But please don't think that, oh, they're going to defer it again or we're going to get some other kind of benefit. Uh, it's, It's time. The time has come. Listen, there's no secret to this stuff. The only way to get out of debt is to pay extra on your stuff. So with your student loans, look at your budget. How much extra can you pay? If you are in a good position, those repayment plans that are like the lowest amounts, they're not for you. Don't do that to yourself and to your finances. Be honest about what you can pay because you're just stretching out the interest and you're going to end up paying more. So just be honest about what you really can pay so you can get it paid off. And you're making my life miserable for longer, right? Just hangs around, hangs around. It's horrible. Let's get it done. The book is called Money Chat, How to Get Out of Debt, Manage Your Money, and Create Financial Freedom. And there it is for people on YouTube. There it is. Yes. Dorothea, the book comes out in a week, but the reason we wanted to have you on today is obviously people listening to us, they like audiobooks. They like podcasts. You have a deal for people that pre-order? Absolutely. So if everybody goes to moneychatbook.com, I have all kind of bonuses, free bonuses for everyone because it's important to put things into action. Everyone who orders now gets the free audiobook version. This will be the only time you can get two versions of the book for the price of one, because after we launch and go live, it's back to regularly scheduled programming. But I wanted to give everybody something amazing. And I was like, what? People love audiobooks. I'll give them the audiobooks. So yes, please go to moneychatbook.com. Please listen. We all know some folks in our family, in our circle, our colleagues that could use a little assistance in this area. Please share. And I've got some goodies for them too. <laughs> oh, it's a, it, and it's the best thing to share. Like it's the best way to help people get the uh, head start. We'll link to moneychatbook.com and our show notes page as well. And in our 201, the newsletter where we take deeper dives. Dorothea, great talking to you again. Thank you for helping us get out of debt and start to put a plan together. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to hang out with you. Hey, I'm Rob Berger. When I'm not rolling in the dough, that's right. I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Dorothea Kelly. OG, she nailed it. Don't let your creditors be in charge of your recovery. 
if you let your creditors, if you're in any type of financial trouble, determine anything about your debt payoff strategy, it's going to take you a lot longer. Yeah, they're they're in it for them, right? They they want to do what's best for them, not what's best for you. They just want to wring out as much as they can before they move on to the next uh, victim. So you have to design your plan. She's the only person I've ever talked to, though, where she gave the creditor her bank account information and they took all the money. I mean, have you heard that before? Like she gave him permission yeah, to- happened to me. Absolutely. Really? She gave him permission to take 50 bucks and they took thousands out of her account. Like they took yeah. all of her money. All and then the yeah. dude- well, you heard, but the dude just said, sue us. So sue us. Yeah. Knowing she's not going to be able to. Like, what yeah. a what a move. It happened to you too. Yeah, same thing. Don't give people access to your bank account. And it seems so obvious, right? It seems like as you're saying it, you're like, do it. But, but I also know having been on those calls, they're like, oh, hey, we'll just take it directly out of your bank account. No big deal. We'll take the 50 bucks yeah. and we'll... Well, I, I, you know, we just had this car thing, this car repair thing, whatever. And... um the repair shop wanted to take a check or cash or a debit card, but would, did not want to take a credit card. And so, you know, I dug around, found a checkbook, take it in. It's a pretty large check that I had to write because the insurance company had sent me the check, you know, so I had their money plus my, my money to pay. And they wanted a check or a debit card. And I brought a check they ran the check, which is weird. I've never had that happen. They're like, yeah, we can't take this check. There's, there's, uh, we just can't take this check. I'm like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, you told me you needed a check. I brought a check. And she said, well, do you have a debit card? I said, no, I don't have a debit card. She says, who doesn't have a debit card for their account? I said, me. I said, I charge everything to our Visa or our American Express card. And she's like, well, it's the same thing if it's a debit card. I said, no, it's not. If you get access to my debit card or my bank account, you know, through a check, like you can take all the money. You know, you get access to my American Express card number. That's Amex's problem. Sure. You know, that's You've Visa's got that problem. that layer of protection. Yeah. You know, I, I'm paying Visa. I'm paying American Express. And sometimes I have to pay for that privilege, right? You have to, you know, they say, well, if you pay with a credit card, we got to charge you a convenience fee or whatever. It's like, oh, I've, I've benefited from the fact that you don't have access to my bank account or, and it's not even the person that you're talking to necessarily. It's the people that they interact with. It's yeah. their suppliers. The data gets out and now their suppliers have the data and, and the hackers go, you know what I mean? Like there's different layers of people that can get involved in it. So I don't, did uh, you run into one of those stupid check system things where check systems said, no, I don't know. Kind of fair, kind of verifying the check. She just handed me the phone and said, they have to talk to you. And I said, hello. And they said, I said, what's going on? And she said, yeah, we're just not able to approve this check. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, um, talk to you later. <laughs> I was just, was I was that, just looking at her. Was it your bank that they were calling? Mm-hmm. I, it was some, I don't know who she talked to. I didn't ask and I didn't care. Because I was like, well, what do you want to do next? And she goes, I guess we can take your American Express card. I'm like, oh, huh. okay, cool. Oh, Weird. there it is. Uh, they just uh, didn't want to pay the fee. And if they would have asked, I would have not happily paid it, but I would have, you know, that's just common practice, you know, that small businesses, I get it. It's a large expense. We have a lot of credit card expense for our planning business. And it's just part of the business operations of doing business these days. So, so yeah, don't give people access to your bank account ever, 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 ever. Nobody. 
Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. Oh, I, I would value a little bit more coffee in this uh, lukewarm brown water that I'm drinking. Apparently, my coffee maker decided to just uh, just spit out about, uh, let's just call it the incorrect ratio of coffee to hot water uh, in this cup for some reason, and I can't understand why. Cheryl was asking me what I want for uh, Father's Day, and because I truly don't need anything, but I was looking at those Ember mugs when I was when I was uh, at the yes. Apple Store. Have one. Have one. Do you like it? Is it good? No, no. I mean, they do what they're told. You know, like they keep it hot and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I read the product reviews and they were pretty mixed. Like I was all excited. I'm like, dude, this coffee I'm drinking. When you said lukewarm water, I was laughing because I just took it. As you saw, I took a yeah. chug out of mine and my coffee's cold now. And I'm like, oh, if I had that Ember mug. Yeah. And then some of the reviews are like one more device plugged in. This is fantastic. And other people are like, yeah, no. Yeah. I think a good Yeti is every bit as good as a oh, battery yeah. powered Ember mug. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Like, oh, yeah. Tune up the Yeti, pour some hot water in there first, you know, get it ready, then pour your hot coffee in there. You'll you'll be every bit as happy with that as you would be. I should have done that this morning before we started this. Well, mine isn't so much that it's cold, although it's cold now. Mine is more the ratio of coffee to water is incorrect. So coffee to water. Yours is... It looks like, uh, you know, Muddy River, you know, the song. <laughs> it's, it's not even... It's just kind of see-through. It's like the... Like the Saginaw River, <laughs> looks like a looks yeah. like a bad bad morning. Yeah, uh, what, what were we talking about? Oh, your money or your time? It's your loved ones in your time. It's your loved ones in your time. Yes, or, well, loved ones. Yeah, my money and my time. Those are the things that are most valuable to me. <laughs> my loved ones, eh, maybe. Yeah. That's why they may buy quality term life insurance. It's actually simple. You go to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life. Now you get a free quote. Love what they're doing at Haven Life because they're committed to offering a modern way to buy insurance. They've slashed the application. So it's simple. It's online. Bam. You get an instant coverage decision. You have to wait several weeks and you're with a company that's been there before mass mutual, their parent company, more than 160 year old insurer. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Lee. Say hi, Lee. Hello, Joe and OG. My name is Lee. I'm a almost 57-year-old single mother with three minor children at home. When my husband and I separated five years ago, I had about $105,000 in retirement funds. I've been working full-time as a nurse, have been able to make the maximum contributions on my 403B and Roth IRA for the past three years, and now have about half a million dollars in retirement assets. My goal for retirement is a million dollars and to not claim Social Security until I'm 70 years old. I was feeling pretty good about my contributions and my ability to retire sometime in my mid-60s, until I heard OG talking about retirees needing to have two to three years of living expenses in cash to weather down markets in retirement. I understand the value of this, and I hope to be able to accumulate that amount of cash, but one thing I have not heard OG 
speak about is how this money is replenished if it has to be used early in retirement. I love your show and thank you for taking my question. Lee, what a great question. Sweet. Well, yeah. You have talked a lot. Also, OG. great progress. Yeah, fantastic work, Lee. That is amazing. Just shoveling money in. And I think she said she's 56, going to be 57, and started five years ago with 100 grand. Today, have half a million. Don't tell me when you're 50 and you go, you haven't done anything, my life's over. Like, I could just never do it. It's like, bull crap. Like, look at this person. She's going to have a million dollars inside of the next four or five years and started early 50s with 100 grand, you know, which most people would say is a little behind. So congratulations on that. That's fantastic. So how does she replenish it if uh, that cash begins to dwindle? How do you, do you space it out? Do you every six months just look at your cash position and replenish that? Well, this is the mistake I think that isn't clear with this. The idea is kind of all plays together, all of these different ideas. So the first thing is you have to recognize that you need to have money invested for the long term, even when you're retired. You know, so it's no secret that I'm very heavily pro ownership of companies. I'm not very pro lending to companies. And what I mean by that is I like to own the stocks. I don't like to own the bonds. And now I get it. You've got to have some ballast and you got to have some smooth the ride out and depending on your personal proclivities and so on and so forth. But if you're going to be heavy equities so that your money continues to grow, because you know if you retire when you're 65, you have a 30-year time horizon. So why would you not have your money invested to grow? Then you also have to recognize that part of the trade-off with that investment thesis is that there's going to be periods of time that aren't your friends. You know, 2022 is a great example of that, although not terrible. The beginning part of COVID, market down 30%, pretty substantial decline. 2008 through 2009, radically bad for people who had just retired. What we're thinking about is kind of those early stages of retirement, that sequence of withdrawals risk or sequence of returns risk, where you just get unlucky. You can have the greatest plan in the universe, right? I've got a million dollars. I'm going to live on 4%. Hell, I'll live on 3.5%, you know, to be secure. If the market goes down 50% in the first year that you retire, all bets are off, right? Like you just got unlucky. You had the great plan, a great strategy, and the market went down and you got screwed. So how do we account for that? Because you really have to just get through the first several years of retirement let your portfolio continue to grow, and then you're out of, the, out of the woods. The way that we account for that is by having two years, three if you're ultra conservative, but two is fine, two years worth of your portfolio in cash. Using this example of a million bucks, we're going to live on $40,000 a year, right? So that's our 4% rule. Everybody's happy with that. $40,000 times two, $80,000. So $80,000 of our retirement account is in cash or something that looks like cash. It doesn't actually have to be cash, cash, but it, you know, something that's liquid does not go down in any chance. The other 920000 is invested as per our normal asset allocation. My proclivities would be to be heavily stock at that point, but maybe you want to be a little bit more conservative. That's fine. 920 invested, 80 in cash. That's your million. You live on the 920. 
So the 80 isn't to be used unless there's an emergency. And the emergency is defined as the market goes down more than we expect it to, because that's what we're trying to avoid. We don't want to make withdrawals from the portfolio in a market decline, if we can avoid it. So we pick a number and we say the portfolio is going to go up and down. It's going to, you know, there's going to be good days and not so good days and good months and not so good months. And, you know, there's even periods of time where it doesn't look very good. You know, minus 10, minus 12, minus 15. That's all normal, by the way. But we pick a number, let's say that's minus 22, minus 22%. That's our freak out number. So with 920K, minus 22% would put us about 720,000. If the portfolio value hits 720000 stop taking from your portfolio. Take from the cash. Live on the cash for two years. And what that allows us to do is allows us to stay fully invested in our asset allocation during a market decline and allow it to recover. Statistically, that's the time that it would take. Well, well yeah. And as I'm hearing you say this, you've already gone through the downturn, the greatest part of the downturn. You've gone through some of it. Yeah, you've gone through some of it, if not the greatest part. Like you said, like it's down 20. What's the concern when you take money out when you're down 20? The concern is, is it going to go down 30? Is it going to go down 40? Is it going to go down 50? And we don't want to continue to take money from our portfolio as the market is declining. You certainly can't tell the peak, right? (laughs) You don't even know when it's starting to decline, if that's just normal market fluctuation or if this is the next you know, bear market. You don't know that. When do you know you're in a bear market? When you get to a bear market. <laughs> you, know, like, like you don't know it until you're there, but you need to have a strategy for the next part of it, the recovery part. And the recovery part is live on cash. Now your $720,000 portfolio recovers, gets back to its million-dollar value because you gave it enough time. And then, yeah, you just make a trade, take the 80K back out, back down to 920 wash, rinse, repeat. And in a perfect world, you don't have to do that. In a perfect world, you retire at 65, you take out your 4%, the market goes up for the next four or five years, and now your million-dollar account turns into a million six, and you're out of the woods. Like, then it doesn't matter. If the market goes down 20%, who gives a crap? You've got a million three left. You know, you're still well above any safe withdrawal rates. And Then can you go ahead and diversify that cash? Yeah, you could if you wanted. Yeah, some people do, some people don't. It depends on your spending, right? If your spending increases, this is the same ratio regardless of where you are. You have $3 million and you're going to spend $10,000 a month, our 4% rule. Yeah, you're going to have $3 million in your account. But of that, two hundred and fifty k is going to sit in cash. You go, that's too much money in cash. Oh, that's a lot, but it won't feel like a lot if that $3 million turns into $2 million the first 16 months of your retirement. Suddenly. Yeah, that's kind of the thesis behind that. If Lee sends me a uh, send me your address, I've I've got a book that I can send you about this at OG at Stacking Benjamins. Lee, and thank you so much for the question. If you've got a question for us, like Lee did today, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail and OG will be happy to answer your question too. And for being brave, uh, we are sending Lee, a Stacking Benjamin's greatest money show on earth piece of swag. Stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. All right, let's take a look at the community calendar. We always have a lot going on here in the basement. 
stackybenjamins.com slash welcome gets you to all of the channels where we produce money geekery fun, whether it's our Instagram channel, the basement, our Facebook group, uh, which is called the basement, our robust YouTube channel with videos, our budding TikTok channel where OG dances. It's amazing. <laughs> maybe not. He does. For sure, maybe. Stackybenjamins.com slash welcome gets you there. Big thanks to everybody also who's left us a review of this show. Mom's got this one on the refrigerator right now. OG, I grabbed it and uh, brought it down. This is from Like Off-Road, five stars, fun and helpful. Stacking Benjamins is my favorite financial podcast. The hosts have a good chemistry together and will make you laugh while teaching you a thing or two about finance. There's plenty of good random stories too if you don't feel like learning but want to surround yourself with good entertainers. Friday episodes are my favorite when they have guest contributors on like Len Penzo. Keep up the good work. We do like to uh, make it relaxed and fun and I'm super happy that Like Off-Road likes what we do. By the way, those Friday episodes, if you're new here, have a little bit of a different format. And those are generally our lightest episodes are the Friday roundtable episodes where we will have uh, three contributors take a piece from the blogging community and chat about whatever hot topic the financial blogging community seems to be interested in that week. Mondays and Wednesdays, we try to sneak four or five pieces of information in there that you can take away without you being too focused on learning much. Thanks for that review. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show. It's taken just a minute to tell other future stackers about stacking Benjamins. Doug, take it from here, man. I know I just said we hopefully gave you four or five new ideas today, but uh, Doug, what are your top three? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Dorothea Kelly and get out of debt and take control of your money to build your savings and wealth. Second, have a low interest rate on your home? Maybe a great time to start studying real estate and join the landlord game. But the big lesson? Probably not a good idea to pursue being an astronaut if you can't handle the tilt-a-whirl at the fair. Turns out, no one likes funnel cake on its second voyage. Thanks to Dorothea Kelly for joining us today. You can find Dorothea's book, Money Chat, How to Get Out of Debt, Manage Your Money, and Create Financial Freedom, wherever you buy books. We'll also slide links to Dorothea's work on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lacey Langford, who's also the host of the Military Money Show, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Yunkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. 
to join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. I was super excited about this movie that I saw that they're not playing at our local Cinemark. So we drove to Shreveport, went to the, they have an art movie theater there. And uh, I saw this film, OG, called The Lost King. I just don't believe someone would be that wicked because of a disability. Doesn't ring true to me. That's your critique of Shakespeare, is it? Doesn't ring true. (laughs) We both know you've had issues. I suffer from chronic fatigue, and yet have I ever missed a deadline? I thought it was time to give the younger ones a chance to shine. Well, you want people are good at being under 40, I will admit. I am struggling there, but so are you. Don't do anything impetuous, that's all I ask. We need your wages too. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom. Bye. books on Richard III, the king. I know who you mean. We have eight titles. I'll take them. Which ones? All of them. Yeah. This uh, this story is based on a true story, and I can tell you the whole story uh, that it's based on without giving away 
what makes the movie uh, what it is. This film stars uh, Sally Hawkins, who, if you saw the Academy Award winning Shape of Water, she was the woman that was in love with the sea creature. So that's her. Uh, Steve Coogan, who's another actor I really like, plays her husband, the estranged husband. They are separated at the beginning of the movie. And um, there's a lot of tension. There's also, you heard tension at work. She has chronic fatigue syndrome. Her boss definitely wants to give the young people a chance and she's not good at being under 40 <laughs> anymore. So like some of us. And heard that. so that, yeah. So there's lots of humor that really makes this movie, the tension with her husband between she and Steve Coogan's character. It makes the movie. The real thing it's based on was back in 2017, this woman goes to see, as you heard there at the beginning, Shakespeare's play, Richard III, which presents Richard III as this evil hunchback king who was this usurper to the throne and everybody hated him. And Sally says, you know, I don't think that's him. It doesn't ring true. And you heard the guy making fun of her going, okay, yeah, you're critiquing Shakespeare now. <laughs> like it just doesn't ring true to you, even though Shakespeare, you know, this play's been out forever. Turns out, OG, there is this whole society in real life of people who thought that Richard III was maligned because Shakespeare had written this 150 years after the fact. And they thought the truth was, was that Henry V, I believe, if, if I have my history right, when, when he killed Richard, he had to make sure everybody thought Richard was horrible. And so starts, you know, spreading all these lies about his political enemy, about how horrible he was. And he had to, he had to kill the guy. I mean, the guy was just rotten. So she, as you heard at the end of that piece, walks into a bookstore and gets every book they have on Richard III. And she takes all this evidence and all this stuff happened, takes all this evidence. And you may have seen the story where in Leicester, in a parking lot, they find the remains of Richard III. And it was all based on this woman that nobody wanted to believe. People thought was people thought she was crazy. That she's just nuts. I mean, imagine, oh gee, you're an archaeologist. You've been doing this your entire life. This woman who has some random desk job that has nothing to do with your career walks in and says, I think I know where Richard III is buried. Well, Richard III, everybody said, had been thrown in the river. She's like, no, 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 no. If you actually look at these things differently, you will see that I think he's in this parking lot. <laughs> Turns out she was right. And I remember that story back from 2017 and thought it was really cool at the time. That story propels the movie, but that's not what makes the movie. What makes this movie is, her, as I mentioned earlier, her relationship with her husband, but also early on in the film, OG, Richard III shows up and she sees this ghost. And then halfway through the movie, she says something to the ghost. She's like, why can't I find you very easy? He's like, he's like, well, I'm not sure you're looking hard enough. And she goes, wait a minute. You just talked. You can, how come you didn't talk earlier? And he goes, well, you never asked me anything. So she's constantly having these discussions with this ghost and it's hilarious. It, the, the movie's heartwarming. This is better than any film I saw last year. And I saw, and I absolutely loved, as you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. I thought that movie that won the Academy Award was a phenomenal, just a great, weird movie that was super fun with a great payoff. I thought that was easily deserved the Academy Award that it won. I also really liked A Man Named Otto, as you know. I thought that was probably my second favorite movie last year. This movie beats them both. 
I thought this was a fantastic film and just a great, if you like history at all, and you like this, uh, this, this quest to right a wrong. And I really don't like movies that are based on true stories. It's not the true story that made the movie for me. It it was all this extra stuff. I, this is a great, I think everybody should see this movie. This is a, Biggest th- I can't give a film a bigger thumb up than this movie versus Ant-Man where it's a thumb straight up your ass if you go see it. <laughs> so go see The Lost King. This movie needs an audience, man. Go see it.